Now we have our Bible reading. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We've been working our way through this book. It's page 1147 of the Pew Bibles, and Colin's going to come and read that for us. 1 Corinthians 5, page 1147. First Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with a grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit And I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler, With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Well, I think it would be really helpful for us to open our Bibles together to 1 Corinthians 5. This is a pretty complex passage, as you maybe picked up in the reading. Corinthian church had all sorts of problems, and some of their tricky problems are revealed in this passage. So 1 Corinthians 5, it's page 1147. We look at it together this morning. Uh, Before Katrina and I came here, we lived in Bangor and uh, worked in a church in Bangor. And the the house that we lived in, uh, the, the study overlooked... Uh, one of our neighbor's drives, and it was uh, very obvious very quickly that this neighbor, lovely uh, chap, uh, was somebody who really, really loved his car. Uh, it wasn't a particularly fancy car, but, but he looked after it in the most incredible way. He, he just drove into Belfast to work about 15 miles or so, and uh, when he came home, he'd often have given it a quick wash just to make sure it was clean. 
And uh, I, I remember seeing him washing his car on a Saturday morning and then nipping out to get some of the shops and, and walking back into the house and then looking at it again and, and washing it again just to be sure. And, and I, if a seagull, my goodness, if a seagull happened, to, he was ready to explode, you know. It, it was clear to him that, it was clear to me that, that his car was precious to him and he felt that any blemish that appeared on it was was just not to be tolerated, not to be dealt with lightly. Whenever we, we read the Bible, we find that the, the church is precious to God. We find that, that, that God says in the Bible uh, that, that Christ cherishes the church. You think of that word, cherishing the church, Ephesians 5 that is. We're told that Jesus gave his life for the church. How, how much do you have to believe that something is precious to you in order that you would lay down your life for it? And so the church is precious to God. And, and part of the implications of that we see in this passage before us that, that, that the blemishes of the church are, are not to be dealt with lightly not to be just accepted, not to be shrugged at and said, well, that's just the way it is, but that we've got to strive for holiness and, and purity. We've been looking at uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and, and uh, his first letter, and uh, Paul established this church in one of his missionary journeys. He stayed with them for over a year, year and a half, and, and then moved on to Ephesus. And while he was in Ephesus, he kept contact with his church with a number of letters. In fact, we're going to see actually that there's a, a letter referred to in, in this passage that we don't have. So he, he was obviously in fairly regular correspondence with them. And, and as he was in Ephesus, news began to, to get through that th- all was not well in the Corinthian church. There was an underlying pride in Corinthian society, and that, that, that pride seeped into the church, and, and it, it gave a, a number of particular problems to the church. On the one hand, we've seen over some of the last chapters that there was the problem of division, humility is required for people to get on well together. We know that. And there wasn't that sort of deep humility within the Corinthian spirit. And so factions arose. But then another problem was that there was immorality. And it was not dealt with well. And Paul writes to them in order that they might deal with it better. So two simple things that we're going to see uh, this morning. First of all, sin in the church, sin in the body of Christ, is not to be taken lightly. And whenever we're thinking of sin in the church here, we're, we're thinking of flagrant, unrepentant sin. We come together, we confess our sin, we, we know that none of us uh, goes a, a, a day without many things that we want to to confess before the Lord. But here we're thinking of, of people who are set in a certain path and saying, I don't care what you say, this is the way I'm going and I'm not going to change. So sin in the church is not to be taken lightly. Paul jumps right in in verse one with a description of the problem. He's heard that there's an immoral relationship taking place in the church. As the NIV says in verse one, a man has his father's wife. Now, there's been a number of understandings of what this refers to, 
But the most common way of thinking of it is that a son is having a sexual relationship with a stepmother, maybe while the father is still alive, but, but maybe after he had died. Now, the, the exact relationship doesn't matter all that much. It was clearly something that, that biblical standards prohibited, but it was something even that was scandalous within the culture at the time. And you remember we've said that Corinth was a particularly lax moral culture. So, so here was something that was happening in the church and the, the world around the church, Corinth, would have thought that it was awful, but the church just seemed to be letting it carry on. Indeed, it may be that the arrogance referred to in verse two, Paul says, uh, and you are proud. Uh, and then also uh, in verse six, the boasting referred to is related to this matter. You'd wonder how that might be, but if you cast your eye just over the page to chapter 6, verse 12, you see that there's a little quote there, everything is permissible for me. Now, it looks like Paul is quoting back to the Corinthians something that they have said to him. In other words, that they have said, well, well we believe that everything's permissible for us. So one of the church, things that plagued the early church was a, a teaching called antinomianism against the law. It was saying something like this. Well, now that we've been forgiven by Jesus, what we do doesn't really matter. Uh, he'll forgive anything. It's, it's, it's his business to forgive. Indeed, uh, maybe even to have him forgive me more is, is, is to magnify his forgiving nature. So, so everything's permissible for me. And it seems that that sort of idea was around in the Corinthian church. And so they were saying, yes, well, you know, we're, we're a really free church. Oh, people, people make all sorts of lifestyle choices in our place. Uh, you can be who you want to be with us. And Paul says, no, you, you shouldn't boast about this. You should weep about this. And you should take action. The one who's doing this should be put out of your fellowship. Now, a couple of things to say here just as we, as we pause. First of all, we need to note with, with sadness but with realism that it is possible for a believer to fall into terrible sin. That was the case here. Paul talks about this man as a believer. He doesn't mention the woman involved. It's possible that she wasn't a believer. Uh, but the man seems to be, and, and, and that's, a, that's a reminder for us that it's possible to be a believer and to fall into a terrible sin that, that even the world might raise its eyebrows at. Sometimes that's hard for us uh, to accept. We, 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 we hear of terrible things that happen maybe to people who profess Christ that we don't know, and we, we sort of think, well, oh, they, they can't have been a believer at all. They were a wolf in sheep's clothing. And that might have been the case, but Paul does not assume that from the beginning. And I think we'll see that it shows that we see that that wasn't the case actually here. So we've got to know that the believers can really mess up. But what we also see is that that is neither inevitable nor is it something that is to be taken lightly. Not ever. So whenever we, 
we hear of a Christian who is in this sort of position that's described here, and, and as I said before, this is a sort of flagrant, unrepentant sin. When we hear of a Christian who has sinned publicly and brought disgrace on the name of Jesus Christ, we, we mourn, we, we, we say, oh no, how tragic. And we humbly ask the Lord to protect our hearts that we might never find ourselves in such a situation. But what we don't do is we don't just accept it and say, well, that's just the way it is. Nor do we say, well, who am I to judge? We'll see that in a moment we actually are to judge those inside the church. So so we're to see sin in the church, certainly this sort of flagrant sin in the church, a bit like my lovely but rather obsessive neighbor saw the dirt on his car. Something should rise within us and say, oh, that should not be there. That needs to be dealt with. It's just not appropriate that something that is so precious at this moment looks so tarnished. So sin is not to be taken lightly. Now, now, that really goes against the grain of how we're conditioned to think these days. We, we, we live in an anything-goes world. You, you know that just as well as I do. But we must know that we have been called to the side of Christ, and he has good paths for us, safe ways for us, and, and some things that he says to us are, are off-limits. Don't, don't we know that? Don't, don't we know it? even as we, we read through the whole sweep of the scriptures and, and, and we see people choosing things that God says are bad, the consequences are just disastrous. And, and yet we, we look in our own world and we see people choosing things that God says are, <clears throat> are not helpful for us and we see the consequences just disastrous. And yet sometimes whenever we find ourselves in that position, we think it'll be different for me. I can handle this. The particular issue here, the presenting issue, was immorality. But you notice right down in verse 11, Paul highlights six particular sins that he knows that will be a a threat to the church at that time. Sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, slander, drunkenness, swindling. So, So it looks like Satan seems to employ certain attacks on believers and he finds them to be often successful. We've often talked about the particular temptations of money, sex, and power. And we might want to add in excess. And and sin, these sins or or any sin, is just not to be taken lightly. We've been saved for, for a new life, you see. Saved for something. You, you know, we've, we've, we've used the illustration before of a, a street child who's grown up in some lawless city somewhere. And, and through a remarkable series of events, they are adopted into a, a wealthy family. And that child is tremendously privileged now, but they, they need to learn a whole new of, way of living and behaving. Sometimes they might be tempted to go back to some of the actions and practices that they, they practiced when they were on their streets. But their, their new parents will, 
will persistently impress upon them. They will say, now, look, loved one, you, you, you are precious to us now, but you must know that, that, that as, as part of this family, this is how you're going to behave. This is the way we do things around here. This is the, the life that befits the rescue that you have enjoyed. That's us, isn't it? There is a life that befits the rescue that we enjoy. So the church is precious to God, and therefore sin in the church is not to be taken lightly. Second thing to say is is that the church is precious to God, and sin is to be dealt with. Because Paul here describes particular steps that the church is to take with regard to this man. He's to be put out of the fellowship. Now this is, we sometimes use the word excommunication, out of fellowship. And, and there appears to be, if you, you look at, at what's happening here in, in verse 4, for example, there appears, there, there appears to be a, a formal decision and the man eh, almost sort of passed sentence upon. Now there's some debate about whether this happens at the meeting of a whole congregation or if this is done by elders and then reported to the congregation <clears throat> down through the years, uh, Presbyterians have tended to go for the second option, that, that the responsibility for, for discipline sits with the shepherds in the congregation, the elders, and then it's reported to uh, the congregation. But, but uh, and also then, because our public worship services are open to everyone, it's understood that the exclusion here is ex- being excluded from the Lord's table and, and participating in prayer, prayer meetings and fellowship groups and so on, things like that. But, but nevertheless, what is called for is a, is a strong response by Paul. And what I want us to see this morning is, is the rationale that lies behind that. First of all, sin is to be dealt with because of love for the individual, the, the person who's sinning. Look at verse 5. Hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Now it's not easy to understand this, but, but it seems that what's being said here is that by excluding him from the church, and, and remember in Corinth in those days, there was only one church. He couldn't go to another church down the road. By excluding him from the church, where he, he then goes into the world, whereas it where Satan holds sway, the intention is that he will be horrified by the, the consequences of his actions and prompted to repent and, and, and led back to, to living a godly life. And so, so the, the, the intention is that, that he will see and, and, and feel the, the, the awfulness of, of what it means to be separate from the people of God and, and then through them from God himself that he might return. That formal exclusion is to be backed up by the members of the church in that they would break fellowship with him, as verse 11 says. They should distance themselves from a professing Christian who is living an openly, flagrantly disobedient life and is unrepentant under the discipline of the church. There's a breaking off of relationships. Now, this all seems very odd to us, very harsh in, in, in our world, but it, but it does show us that, that we are, 
are part of a, an anything-goes culture. And, and the worst thing that we can possibly ever say to anyone is that they're wrong or that we disapprove of what they're doing. And you see that there is this intention to win the person back. And it does seem in this case that it did indeed happen. In fact, it looks as if the church was actually not swift enough to welcome them back into their fellowship after he, this man had come to his senses. So back over in 2 Corinthians 2 and 6, there's, a, there's another letter written. And Paul, in that situation, writes, it seems about the same person. And he says, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. So you see, sins to be dealt with. Why? Because the consequences of living a life that will lead us away from God and into destruction are, are terrible. And if, if we genuinely love people, we're going to have to point that out and implement some things that will allow them to see the seriousness of that. So that's, that's one of the reasons why this action needs to be taken. The, the second reason is out of concern for the church. You see verse six. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Now, we know perhaps a little about yeast, or maybe leaven is actually better here. It's a little bit of the fermented dough from the last batch that was held over and then kneaded into the new batch of dough, and it caused the whole lot to rise. And the Bible is saying that, that sins like that, sin if it's not dealt with, will spread through the entire fellowship and affect the whole congregation. I remember, very sadly, a hearing of a church long, long way from here where there had been a, a, an affair between two people in leadership. And it wasn't well dealt with. It was sort of covered up. It, it, was, it, it, was, it was a blind eye was sort of turned to it and, and, and those who were involved were allowed to carry on their roles. And, and people sort of said, well, you know, these things happen. And within a few years in that church, the same problem had arisen in a whole host of families within the congregation. A terrible harvest of broken marriages and destroyed families had been reaped. And that seems to be the sort of thing that, that, that Paul is speaking of here. He said, look, you've you got to be aware that, that, that sin is, is, is just like a cancer. And when it gets into a, a fellowship, it must be dealt with. Otherwise, it will destroy you all. He, he goes on to say some more things here. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It's a reference back to the Passover and the fact that, that it proclaimed that God's people were just that. They were God's redeemed and renewed people. And as such, then, they should live like that. That's the thrust of what Paul is saying here. So Paul is, is, is saying, if you like, look, look at what Christ has done for you. He, he's, he's given you a, a new life that, that, that you might be forgiven and cleansed and enabled to live in a new way. So, so now, live as the people that you are. 
not as the people that you used to be. So if, if, if you were to go back to our illustration about the, the street child who was adopted into the wealthy family, imagine you knew that young person and, and, and you found that they were still living a, a, according to the, sort of the laws of the street several years after you'd been, they'd been brought into this new family. Wouldn't you want to sit down with them and say, don't you see what, what this family has done for you? Don't you see... Who, who you really are. Look at the name on your adoption certificate. L- look at who you are. Live like the person that you now are, not the person you used to be. And brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus Christ has done for us, you see. He's brought us into this new family. He, he's, he's adopted us as his very own. He's, he's wiped away all of our sins incredible cost to himself. And so now the message of the scriptures is live as the people that you are, not as the people that you were. That's the call upon your life. Now just in a word, there's something that we should clarify. Indeed, Paul clarifies it. And that's our, our, our new relationship with the world. Because sometimes whenever we hear this call to, to root out sin and to, to deal with sin, we might end up thinking wrongly about the world. And they, uh, the Corinthians, it looks like they did as well. They'd misunderstood Paul. Verse 9 tells us that he had written an earlier letter to them and, and they had misunderstood what he was saying. He was telling them to step back, to distance themselves from these flagrant sinners within the church. But they had thought that he was telling them to step back from flagrant sinners within the world. And so he says, no, no, that's not it. Because the world is sinful. We, we, we know that. But the world is also the place in which we are to live and work and witness. We're called to be salt and light in it. In the world, but not off the world. Jesus is our example here. He was perfectly holy at all times, never compromises, and yet we see him getting close to people that the religious professionals had written off, you remember? People who were on the very edges of society, and Jesus was a friend of sinners. He, he went to the tax collector's parties. He hung out with all the wrong people, and yet he was entirely holy, never compromised once. Now he's our model in that, isn't he? Living holy lives in the world so that people who are lost might find Jesus? So you see what Paul says, I've written to you in my letter not to associate with immoral, sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But I'm now writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but a sexually immoral or so on. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. So you see the challenge that we have inside the church to deal with sin, in the world to reach out with people who are enslaved by sin. What does that mean for you and for me? You know know what it's like. Sometimes we, we, we find it's uncomfortable. And, and as the gaps between the church and the world widen, 
as we know they are these days, we, we find ourselves uncomfortable and, and we, we get ourselves put into all sorts of situations that, that, that just leave us feeling uneasy. And, and so we, we tend to withdraw and we think, do you know what, if, if, if I've got a, a, an evening this week and I've got those, those friends who, who don't know Jesus, but, but sometimes being with them is awkward and I, maybe I'll, I'll forget about them and I'll, I'll just spend some time with my Christian friends instead. Now there's a balance to be struck there, we know. But you see, we, we need to be amongst people who need to know about Jesus. Jesus spent lots of time with lost people. Think carefully about how that might work out for you. And talk it through with a Christian brother or sister that you might be supported in your task to win the world. So the church is precious to God. That's our message this morning. Therefore, it's sin in it is not to be taken lightly. This tells us that it matters to him. We matter to him. So, so flagrant sin in the church is like a, a great stain on his prized possession. We've got to take action where sin is obvious. and We, we need people to look over our lives, don't we? we? We had a membership information morning just a while ago uh, this morning. And, and that's part of what we were saying. We, we, we need people to, to, be, to say, how are you doing? Are you okay there? Because sin is a desperate threat to all of us. So think how precious the church is. Think of the consequences of sin. Think how can I live in this world for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we just find so many times that... the things that your word tells us goes against the standards of this world in in which we have been immersed. And so it's no surprise that we find some of these things to, to go against the grain. Lord, Lord, help us, first of all, at an individual level to, to know that, that sin is our greatest enemy to call no truce with it, to take up again the call to battle with it in our own hearts. But Lord, also here, we pray that you will help us to appropriately, carefully watch over one another, that together we might be the church unstained, unblemished, one day to be welcomed to our eternal home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.